Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First, we're going to get underway by introducing our expert football writers panel to the stage to talk all things Newcastle United. So, first off, please welcome to the stage our Newcastle United writer, Kieran Kelly. <laughs> Next up, our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. Our Chief Sports Writer, Lee Ryder. And our two special guests this evening, a familiar face for you guys who come to our live events, it's BBC's Matthew Raisbeck. And a huge round of applause to The Times' Henry Winter. good with the mic, so I'll just move this one slightly closer to you, Lee. Right. Well, chaps, thank you very much for coming out. So much to talk about when it comes to Newcastle United. We've got the Carabao Cup draw tonight, Champions League draw tomorrow, transfer deadline day on Friday, not to mention the small matter of a game against Brighton 2. We'll start... On the Cups. So last season, of course, Newcastle made it to the final. This season, they'll have the Champions League to contend with. I'm going to start with yourself, Lee. How do they strike the balance of all the Cups? Because we know Eddie Howe will want to give each and every Cup a proper go. The FA Cup, the League Cup, the Champions League as well is trying to maintain that place in the top four. So how do they get that balance? Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be a real challenge, if I'm being totally honest. I think, uh, obviously, I've been in Europe for 10 years didn't go too well in the league last time, 10 years ago. Um, but I, th- I think it's going to be tough and I think it's going to be a real test. This this is the acid test now for, for Eddie Howe and his staff. Done very well up to now. Uh, but I think this is going to be the real the real challenge for them all. And hopefully uh, the, the signings they've made can be uh, an instant hit. Last season now when we saw Newcastle get a little stung in the the FA Cup against Sheffield Wednesday, like we said, they got to the, the Cup final. It, it is a fair thing to say that Eddie Howe will want to give each Cup, cup competition a real goal. Um, how does he do that in terms of that squad depth? Do you think they have enough to make sure they can attack you know, the three Cups plus the league as well? Um, look, as, as Lee says, it's going to be a real, real test. And I think you go back to that Sheffield Wednesday game in January and look at some of the players that were on the pitch that day. You like to Javier Manquillo and Matt Ritchie and... Chris Wood, who's obviously not with the club anymore, 
they've certainly strengthened. I think it's very, very good to see now. You look at the Premier League games, their bench is so much stronger. And all of a sudden, you're now looking at that sort of B team being the likes of Sean Longstaff, Joe Willick, um, you know, Tino Livermento, Lewis Hall. They're definitely getting better. They're get, definitely getting more depth. As to whether they can go, you know, deep into four competitions, it's another question because so many times you see teams, you know, overachieving the Premier League. You remember Leicester winning the league. They absolutely flopped in the league next year because they give the Champions League a real go. West Ham last season, they went really deep in Europe, but they were you know, in a relegation battle for most of the season. So it sort of feels like one of them's got to give. And I think if you're asking me now which one we would have to give, it would be one of the two domestic cups. Try focus on the league and try go really deep in Europe. That's a really interesting point. And we'll open it up to the floor. I mean, we'll all assume, guys, that we want to do really well in the league and hopefully get back in that top four. But in terms of the priority in the cups, raise your hand if it's the Champions League above anything else. You want to see a really good goal in Europe? Okay, League Cup, <laughs> FA Cup, so the majority like to say, that, yeah, because that's the special one, isn't it? Kieran, what do you think Eddie Howe's aims are this season? Is he going to prioritise one of those domestic cups over, over you know, maybe getting into the top four potential? What, what do you think he's aiming for? I think they're being very practical, and as obvious as it sounds, they're going into every game wanting to win. Um, so I know the players had a meeting before the season started that that was the, the attitude, that they were going to attack every game regardless of the competition. And it sounds so obvious, but that's going to be the real asset test this season. I, for one, would love them to take the cup seriously. I think the sooner they get that monkey off the back in that drought, we can all imagine the scenes in the city if they can do that. And if they could do it this season, I mean, it'd be incredible. Whatever happens in the league, if they win a cup, I mean, it'd be historic. Um, so I, I think it's a big ask. Uh, you look at the, the run they had to Wembley. They had a lot of home games last season. I think it'd be even tougher this season. But we all remember those scenes at Wembley. I'm sure the people in the room here were here at Trafalgar Square. I mean, that was something really special. I think if they went there... It, it was good to kind of get that done. I think there was a lot of emotion intertwined with that. It had been so long since they're at the final. <laughs> if they were to get there now, I think they'd be so professional about it and, and we'll get the job done. So the sooner they can do that for me, the better. Reza, do you think that's a, that's a good point by Kieran? Do you think, you mentioned they're getting the monkey off the back in terms of winning a cup, but the fact that Newcastle United have got to a final, is that the first step towards becoming a successful club? Yeah, I suppose it's progress, isn't it? It was a... It, it, something that they had to overcome and it was a, a first trip to Wembley for a cup final in uh, what was it 24 years so almost a quarter of a century and it felt really meaningful and special as Kieran has said and um, the downside obviously was the was the match and it was that familiar feeling afterwards but uh, this set of players have done it once and I think what was nice about it as well last season was that it was a squad comprising not just new signings and quality players added since the takeover went through, but also there were still some players who'd been there before. And in a few cases, it actually helped Newcastle come back up from the championship. So you had a bit of the old and a bit of the new, and we've still got that again this season with players like Dummett, Lascelles, Ritchie, and others who are still around and still valued and important um, where Eddie Howe and his staff are concerned. And just to expand on um, points that have already been made, the makeup of the squad is interesting because I think probably now, and, and a lot may depend on the severity of Sven Botman's injury, um, you would say that they've got two strong options for every position. A bit of depth in terms of goalkeepers as well. Um, 
whereas that hasn't been the case. And the work they've done in, in the summer transfer window has clearly been targeted at some of those areas where they were maybe a little bit light. I probably feel that they could do with another central defender anyway. It doesn't look like much is going to happen between now and, and Friday night, but um, it feels a really strong and well-balanced squad. And additionally, and I don't think this is accidental, so many of the players can perform more than one function in the team. They can be used in more than one position, whether it's Joe Linton and Joe Willock, who would swap um, up the left side last season. Dan Byrne, as we've seen. When I asked Eddie Hall last week about Lewis, uh, Eddie Howe about Lewis Hall last week, he, he, he listed about six positions that he's played in. So there's versatility, and that's another attraction with him. Livermento on the other side, I, I could go on. So I like the way the squad looks, if maybe they are perhaps light in one particular area and, and, and even more so if Botman's going to be missing for however long. Henry, uh, Reza makes a good point about the squad depth, but I suppose going into the Champions League is a total, total different competition. From what you've seen of Newcastle, do you think they've got enough to give it a, a real go? I mean, could they be, I suppose, a surprise package this season in the Champions League, do you think? I think if you look at the way league managers work when they go into a new club, you look at Jose Mourinho when he went to Chelsea for the first time, you look at Pep Guardiola when he went into Manchester City, they want that first trophy. And the first trophy up for grabs is the League Cup. So I would expect Eddie Howe to do that because I think everything is in place here. But I just think, as we saw on Sunday, maybe it's a little bit of the mindset, maybe it's a little bit of the belief. And I think that belief, everyone in the room, us reporters, most particularly the, the, the players and the staff, I think that belief would flood through the club if there was a trophy. So coming back to your point about the Champions League, absolutely he'll, I mean, Eddie Howe will be, you know, that the draw tomorrow, you know, everyone in this room will be going, you know, trying to work out, well, first, if there are any planes actually moving at the moment, and then working out, you know, how you can actually get out there. And knowing you're like, you'll have amazing draws, you'll probably get Madrid and um, all these great teams. And that is fantastic, but get that first, first trophy. And it's interesting listening to Spurs fans. I know this is all about celebration in Newcastle, but Spurs fans are disappointed that Postacoglu didn't go harder with a stronger team. You've got, I mean, you were saying that the, you've got strength in every position, but everything, what I admire about the way that you're doing this with this huge wealth that you've got, it all seems to be about evolution. It's gradual. Get that first trophy, build, then attack Europe. But that squad strength that you've got is good, but you know, you look at you look at Real Madrid, you know, you look at some of the other teams. It, there's so much talent out there, but you can just see the you know I'm looking at it from the outside and I can see the journey you're on, and those trophies will come. Fingers crossed. And in terms of the Champions League, Kieran, everyone has their pick of opponents, and obviously we'll find out tomorrow with the with the draw. But who were you hoping that Newcastle gets? Um, I would like a group of death. You know, I'd love a, a Real Madrid and AC Milan and Bayern Munich because. I think we've waited so long to see those kind of nights at St. James's Park. Why not have the best come here? I think that's the attitude they have to have. And also, I think it would, it would maybe suit Newcastle. Uh, we've maybe seen, I, I, I don't think there'll be many times in the years to come where Newcastle are underdogs, but when they're doubted, they're at their best. You know, everyone thought they would uh, drop off towards the end of last season. They didn't really. Uh, they got the job done. They got over the line. Um, I would love to see you know them taking on the very best at St James's Park. We take Real Madrid at St James's Park, wouldn't we, ladies and gents? Razor, the the Champions League has come so quick in terms of the project. Uh, do you think away from the boardroom, the owners have had to kind of learn and and will have to adapt, you know, uh, in the months to come about what it takes off the field, not just 
who you buy to make sure you've got the right squad to take it on. But you know, there's a host of other things that the club really have to kind of get on board with to make sure they're a force in the Champions League. Yeah, probably 12 months ago, not many, and and I would think people employed at St James's Park would have expected Newcastle to be back in Europe um, because top half would have represented a, a step forward from the previous season and seasons, obviously. But uh, there's nothing bigger than the Champions League and it's going to be massive. It's massive for the profile of the club um, and it's different to 20 years ago when they were last in it, but there'll be people uh, watching it all over the world, uh, not just in Europe, and they'll be looking at the list of clubs in that draw and they'll be seeing that Newcastle United are representing the Premier League again. And it feels like the club is back and it's back on the big stage and it's not just on the pitch like you say, it is off the field. Um, but there'll be so much that's associated with it, with the Champions League and with UEFA competitions and St James's Park might look and feel a little bit different. Um, but it's where they want to be. I probably would have preferred them to go step by step and maybe get in the, into the Europa Conference League and do well like West Ham did or even into the Europa League where I think they could do very well. And that could still happen if they finish third in their group. They would go into a playoff and then potentially into the Europa League. But the opportunity was there for the Champions League. And they'd missed out before a couple of times. It was painful. Um, last season, as Kieran says, they were expected by some to drop off. And they, yeah, they saw it through. They... They saw off Liverpool and, and other challenges. It's brilliant. It's just so exciting. It certainly is. And getting to the Champions League league means that Newcastle probably have also been allowed to accelerate their transfer plans, i.e. sign someone like Sandro Tonali, quality Champions League experience, you know, a really, really big name. Uh, that wouldn't have probably happened, though, without the Champions League. No, I don't think it would. But um, I, I'm concerned slightly just in case... We do get a, an injury to either one of the centre-backs, which Razor's kind of touched on, and there's already one injury with Botman, uh, or one of the strikers, uh, Callum Wilson or Isaac. I think that could be a big problem. So going into deadline day, personally, you know, looking at it as a reporter and looking at it as a supporter, I would like to see another player come in. doesn't look like it's going to happen as things stand, but uh, I do think they could be a little bit light in terms of quality. Uh, and I wouldn't like that to, to haunt them over the, the long, hard winter that's about to uh, descend upon us. Yeah, it's going to be a busy schedule. You guys there might have just seen Aaron turn to me and smile when Lee mentioned a third striker, because we have a debate every week where I just say we need a third striker, and Aaron laughs me off. says Anthony Gordon can be that third striker. But I think Lee's got a big a, a, a point there, hasn't he, Aaron? About the, the squad depth, maybe about injuries to Wilson and Isaac? Maybe, yeah. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Uh, but Lee, I mean, everyone remembers those nights don't against Barcelona and Juventus, and it's it's those kind of magic nights that we, I think every fan just can't wait to 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 relive against, whether it is a Real Madrid or, or a PSG. Yeah, I mean that that Barcelona game. I mean, you had Tino spread at the ground the other day. That that brought back special memories, uh, and and for the fans who you know used to stand on the Gallagher uh, only five years before when they were entertaining teams like Cambridge and Oxford and. Suddenly they're up against Barcelona. That was just an unbelievable journey. Uh, this has been slightly different, but um, you know that that step up in class will soon be upon us. And I think, uh, as I say, it's going to be a test. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also I like to think a realist and think it's going to be difficult to to make that leap. But uh, you know, if we can turn one of the big guns over, then uh, bring it on. We were talking there about how Aaron, the Champions League has allowed Newcastle to maybe go out and sign Sandra Nani. It probably wouldn't happen without the European football. How important do you think it is that they reclaim Champions League football for next season? Because if you've sold a player that 
they will be hoping and expecting that they get that again next season. Will that play a part in Eddie Howe's you know, project going forward, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a it's sort of the main reason that I sort of said I want the, the Premier League to be at the, the forefront. I know the Cups would be great. I know a run in the Champions League would be great, but you need to be, you know, still finishing the top four, still finishing the top six every season. Because like you say, if they all of a sudden start to drop into seventh and eighth <coughs> and then a Manchester City or a you know, an Arsenal are coming in trying to sign Bruno or Botman, all of a sudden, you know, the pull of Champions League football is massive. And as you know, one of the lads has said, I don't think that deal would have the Tonali deal would have happened without Champions League. It's what attracts the players to St James's Park as, as well as the atmosphere and the history of the club. Um and look, financially they're still wrestling with, you know, a lot of Mike Ashley's mistakes. Adidas getting announced and becoming the kit manufacturer will be huge. You know, all of a sudden you're gonna see that kit deal go from five million to sixty million a season potentially. Um you know, the match day revenue is going to improve. Everything, when you're in the Champions League, gets bigger and better, but, you know, you need to sustain that massively. Henry, we talk about trying to sustain it. It's a lot easier said than done, especially now. You probably will have Liverpool back to the best. Chelsea will hope to be back to the best. Tottenham as well. It's not going to be as easy as it was last season. I mean, it wasn't that easy last season either. Newcastle are there by merit, but you have three or four teams who people expect to be battling for the top four this time around. Yeah, I take that. But there's one caveat on that in that five teams will probably finish in the Champions League positions because the Premier League is likely to get another one. But, I mean, the Champions League, I mean, I've seen so many upsets in the Champions League from Istanbul with Liverpool to uh, Liverpool with, with Barcelona, 3-0 down, Messi running right, and then Andy Robertson has a go at him, ruffles him on the head, and suddenly the, the place believes. And... I mean, my experience of St. James's Park is when the belief is in the air, anything's possible. And I love the thought of you getting Real Madrid tomorrow for many reasons. First, it's the new, how they've developed the new ground. I mean, it's, well, it's the, the old ground, but it's just unbelievable what they've done to it. I just love the idea of Kieran Trippier leading you out there, an ex-Atletico Madrid player. The reaction that he'll get, and I hope when he walks out, the other ten players just stay back in the tunnel, just to see the reaction that Kieran will get. And if I mean, I've got to know so Kieran a little bit down the years. He will absolutely love that. And I think if that mind, if Kieran Trippier's mindset, he's been for me, he's been your most important signing. I know Isaac and Bruno and Sandro and all these players are really important. Trippier's a winner. He's got that mindset. He's a fighter. I love everything about him. He's just tough. You know, you've just bought in a very good right back. Trippy will just raise his game. I've seen the flag you've got up in the, the Gallagher. Was it over the wall? So Trippier delivers that, you know, with his free kicks, but it's his mentality. And that is, if you've got 11 players with Trippier's mentality, you'll go far in all four competitions this season. How important is it to have his experience in that dressing room on those big European nights? I mean, he'll just sort of sit there putting his boots on, just exuding defiance. I mean, you just look at him. He's a fighter. I've seen it with England. I've seen it with the clubs that he's played for. I've interviewed him. I've interviewed him in really difficult moments for him after the, the, the betting thing. I did a Zoom with him when he was at Atletico. He'd just come in from training, and he was just, you know what he's like. He's just, every training session, it's like it's his last. You know, he gives... You know, so, yeah, he's a special player and I think he will inspire all of those around him. Yes, yes, I think we've seen that impact from Kieran Trippier already. Uh, Riz, I asked, I asked Kieran about the dream draw. What about yourself? Who, who, who are you after? Yeah, I'm torn because you could end up with a group of death, which I think could be 
Bayern Munich, Real Madrid and AC Milan, because Milan are going to be in pot three, aren't they, uh, by the looks of things? Um, or, yeah, or Barcelona, Dortmund and Milan. Um, or you could have something that might be a little bit easier looking and you might feel that Newcastle would have a stronger chance of progressing. But then, I don't know, I, I think most of those teams wouldn't want to play Newcastle when Newcastle are at their best. And touching on what Henry said about uh, the feel of St. James's Park when, when things are happening, that will be a really daunting prospect for any European team, whether it's a giant club or, or one of the, the other sides that, yeah, maybe you'd say Newcastle have better players than. Um, I think Real Madrid, though, would be the one because they've had Barcelona twice, obviously, in Champions League terms. And they were here for a friendly as well, weren't they, in, in the Sir Bobby Robson days. Real Madrid would be different and it would be massive. There's also an interesting possibility, and it depends on uh, the second leg of PSV against Rangers tonight, but you could have a, a Sir Bobby Robson group where you get Barcelona, Porto and PSV. Imagine that. It would be very special, that, wouldn't it? Lee, what about you? Is there a certain team that you'd, you'd like to see Newcastle drawn against? Well, without, you know... Sound obvious, Real Madrid, but um, I think it would be fascinating to see uh, Newcastle fans go to somewhere like Dortmund and you know really absorb a, a football mad city like themselves and you know possibly make new friends that way. Um, but then you know there's there's still the possibility of you know getting PSV, which would be a short hop across. I'm sure that'd be interesting with the ferries and things like that. So I'm sh there's loads of possibilities, um, but. Sometimes in life, when you look at it, you, you you never get what you want, do you? So we're talking about a group of death, and um, you know that that could happen. But you could also get a bit of a drab one as well. So we'll have to wait and see. But hopefully, uh, Champions League football for me, the special moment will be uh, the first game at St James Park when that Champions League music is piping out around the around the stadium, and uh, then you know you're back. But then it's uh, straight onto the challenge. Yeah, I mean that will be a special moment, won't it? And I think as well. Just to see the hordes of Newcastle fans taking over, whichever city is going to be fortunate enough to, uh, to host them is going to be quite a special uh, sight as well. Yeah, I hope they've stocked up on their booze that weekend because it's going to be a, it'll be a heavy, heavy weekend for some of those fans. But I, I'm sort of really torn with, with who I want. Part of me thinks I'm, I'm with Kieran and I'd love, you know, Real, Bayern and, and AC. I'm with Lee, I'd love Dortmund. But then again, even if it's, you know, Feyenoord, Benfica, any of these teams, I just think... Those three home games at St James's Park are going to be so special, no matter who they get. Um, you know, fans have waited so long for it. You can tell everybody's going to be, you know, just counting down the clock tomorrow until five o'clock when we find out. And yeah, does it really matter who they get? They're back in the Champions League. That's the main thing. I think that's the main point, isn't it? You know, just to be here sat talking about who we would like and who we wouldn't. And you know, I think you're right. Just the fact Newcastle are back in the Champions League that that is the key point. Uh, Kieran, we've mentioned. Sandra Snarley, one of the additions. I'm just wondering, is he the main standout addition for you this summer or is it someone else that catches your eye? Yeah, without question. I think if you were to ask me in May if they were going to sign him, I would have said not a hope. Uh, I think it shows where the club are at now that they're signing him rather than signing Jeff Hendrick, as much as we all love Jeff Hendrick. Um, it's, it's, it shows the, the upgrade in, in a, a very short space of time. and. I think what surprised me maybe looking at pre-season, I maybe thought he might have been eased in a little bit more and how that debut at St. James's, I know there have been some brilliant debuts in the past decade alone, but it was fantastic. You know, the, the goal, how he had handed the other four, it was really, really exciting. I think Man City was maybe a reminder that he's going to need time. Liverpool, I, I thought he was better. 
but to think this guy's only 23, full Italy international, best years ahead of him, we probably haven't seen Anton yet, and he still has so much more to give. So I think that's been a, a really exciting sign. Yeah, and I guess, Lee, we saw just how well he's settled in, just how well he's doing with the fact that when he was brought off against Liverpool, um, the game seemed to change in Liverpool's favour somewhat. He was he had another good out in, uh, on Sunday. I was hoping you wouldn't open the uh, <laughs> <coughs> reopen the can of worms over Liverpool, but yeah, I mean, as you say, I think the substitutions we, we can be questioned. Um, we've, we've got to have a lot of gratitude with where Newcastle are uh, in the last two years, but I think when you look at that performance, um, we shouldn't have lost the game at least, um, and that's. The, the, the defeat began starting to unfold when the substitutions were made. So I think that that's probably the lesson um, for us all, really, that you can't just keep players happy by making changes because other teams are going to exploit it. And I think that's what happened at the weekend. Um, but overall, Tonali, great signing. Harvey Barnes coming in as well. He already showed what he can do. It's surely only a matter of time before he starts. And then you've still got like Anthony Gordon, with so much to give uh, after coming in in January. And again, the game started to, to slide when he went off. Uh, I think he had a shot that just went just wide of the post. It was like destined he was going to score that that sort of insurance goal, but it didn't come. So um, a learning curve, but still lo loads to be positive about. Yeah, most certainly. It's good to see Tenali settling in with the culture as well, Aaron, booking the table and weather spoons. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just love to know who set him up for that, if I still don't know, but yeah. Um, Funnily enough, that used to be my local back in the day when I was I used to live in Gosworth and I tell you what, there's much nicer pubs than he could have gone to on the house. <laughs> yeah. um, he is, I mean, he is an exceptional talent though. I mean, you watch him, how quick he is with a passing and he just kind of, kind of glides around the pitch and uh, if that's the mark of where Newcastle are going to go in the transfer market, it's, it's quite the standard set. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to make that your first signing of the summer, it was a real, real statement to the rest of the league that they're not messing about and to get him for... You know, I'm not going to call 55 million a, a bargain, but when he, when Kieran says, you know, he's got his best shares ahead of him, it could prove out to be a really, really shrewd signing. And I think, you know, I'm going to over to it before that Villa game. I, I'd watched him in pre-season. I thought, you know, he didn't look ready. I thought he looked a bit off the pace in America. I thought maybe he might have needed a little bit, you know, time to get up to speed. And then he just steps on that pitch at St James's Park, and he was the best midfielder out there against Aston Villa. I thought he was very, very good against Liverpool. Um, but as you say, I think that's the level now. I think that's the type of signings, if they can keep up, you know, finishing the top four, finishing the top six, that's the bar now of where they're going to be looking. You know, those elite signings that Eddie Howe wants to sign. Hello, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Andrew Muscov here. Thank you very much for tuning in. I just want to point you in the direction of the Football Content Awards and urge you guys to vote for the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'll pop the link where you can vote into the description. If you click on that and you scroll down to the best podcast, now there you have options. You can vote for the best podcast in the Premier League, Football League and International. Now, obviously, we'll be going for the category of the Premier League, but we need your votes. So if you can pop the everything is black and white podcast into the box and then submit your form. There's also other sections you can vote for, like best influencer, best creator, best media organisation. So have a blast. Vote for everybody Newcastle United-wise in there, but make sure you vote for the Everything is Black and White podcast in the Premier League section of the best podcast. We really would love you guys to help 
us out. It's a pleasure to be coming to you at least four times a week. We really do love doing this and we really do appreciate your support in the Football Content Awards. Thank you very much. Let's get back on with the show. And uh, Razor, they've all supporting Lewis Hall and, and Tino Livermento. Not not on the cheap by any counts. I know uh, Hall's initially on loan, but it's probably going to cost Castle the best for what, 30, 40 million. Livermento up there as well. But key that they're, they're building for the future with, with youngsters as well, 18, 19 year olds. Yeah, and they're, they're depending on where <laughs> they see Hall's long term future, a, a pair of English fullbacks that, that could be playing for Newcastle and maybe even the national team for a long time to come. Um, I really liked Livramento two seasons ago when he played for Southampton. You probably saw him at St. James's Park. Um, he had a good game that day. Newcastle didn't really. Um, they were struggling at that time. It was pre-takeover. And then he got a bad injury. But he's highly regarded. And I think with Southampton being relegated, look, they've lost a lot of their, their top players, haven't they? Um, a few of them have gone for big money. I'm pleased Newcastle went in for him. It feels like with Kieran Trippier there, and, and Henry's already made the point about a, almost a, a succession plan perhaps for that position. Um, it feels like a really smart move. And Lewis Hall, I think his first Premier League start was at St. James's Park in November last year. And he stood out that day for Chelsea. Um, it's obviously nice as well that there's the family link and the fact that he grew up supporting Newcastle. But to go and take... Uh, a player like that that a lot of Chelsea fans are sad about losing, I think, is um, yeah, it speaks of how highly regarded he is. Uh, Chelsea have obviously been busy in the transfer market and it might have been financial fair play reasons that they needed to sell him. But Newcastle have been proactive in that deal. And I know he didn't make the squad on Sunday. Um, there might be a few fans who'd like to see him involved uh, at Brighton on Saturday, depending what happens with Botman if, if Byrne has to move inside. Lee, what do you think the, the, the kind of the transfer strategy is in the boardroom when they're looking at players like Lewis Hall and like Livermans, who are young with relatively little Premier League experience? Because I think it's accepted that Newcastle aren't, aren't going to kind of wrap them up in cotton wool. If Eddie Howe thinks they're ready, they'll get thrown in. Yeah. So what do you think the, the approach is there? Well, I think he's, he's trying to, to build a team for tomorrow, but I think he also realises... You know, you need a team for today as well, and I think that's why you've got Tenali and Barnes, uh, and that's where the slight concern, which we've all alluded to here, uh, is about this current transfer window because, on paper, you've only got two senior signings in um, this summer. If injuries do cut in or fatigue cuts in, which it will with the Champions League, then um, we could lack depth. And we're only three games in, and we've seen that already with the with the Botman injury. Um, so. It's going to be interesting to see how he uses them, um, Lewis Hall, but great potential. Um, Chelsea fans absolutely devastated. They lost him. Same with Liveramento. He's had injury problems, but I think he's going to. I think this is a great opportunity for him. So I'm, I'm optimistic about the next two or three years, but uh, I think this season is, is going to be the test. Henry, from a, a national perspective, a lot of people expected Newcastle United to spend a boatload of money, and they've spent a bit, but I don't think they've spent as much as some of the, the pundits on maybe national rage or, or elsewhere thought they would have done. Um, what, what's your take been on their, their transfer business? Um, good. I will put one caveat in there. It's that you've got a high percentage, compared to a lot of Premier League clubs, you've got a high percentage of home qualified players. I think that's really important for this club in terms of the evolution. And 
I know Dan and Darren, and they'll be very focused on that, and, and Eddie as well. And I remember speaking to uh, Amanda Stavely a couple of years back, and she was very aware of the quality that's traditionally come through all your great boys clubs here. And I spent a year writing a book with, uh, with Michael Carrick, and he was talking about, is it, is it Platform 8, the southbound platform, whatever it was, platform it is at Newcastle Central, and all this talent flooding south, whether it's Shearer to Southampton, Michael himself to West Ham. And I think now that you are an elite club, you've got to hold on to this talent. So I, I take all the point about the excitement of all these, you know, these Tonalis and these, these terrific players coming in. And one thing about Lewis Hall, and che all Chelsea fans will tell you that, is you're not simply getting a good player, you're getting a really good character as well. And I think that's one thing that seems to define the... Um, there's one trait coming through all these players that you're signing, is that they're good people, as well as good players as well. They've got a good, uh, good attitude. But just keep, I'm slightly, because I'm going off to St. George's Park tomorrow, watching England train, or sorry, the, um, the announcement's going to be at St. George's Park tomorrow, so maybe I've got sort of England on my head. But it's so important you keep developing these talents, which the, these great sort of, sort of hotbeds of football that you've got here, but then just keep them up here. Don't lose all that talent to the south. Because I just think when you've got one of your own in the, in the dressing room, Dan Byrne is a local lad, Newcastle. I think when you've got that attitude, first fans, you know, we all love that. But also when you've got players coming in from overseas, he will be able to explain to them how important. So you get drawn against Sunderland in the cup. He will be able to take one or two players on one side and say, you've got to understand how important <coughs> this is. So just keep developing because there's so much talent that just sort of pops up all over this great city. I think there's what we're seeing again with, with this window is that Newcastle United have kind of got two foundations uh, to their approach. You know, Firstly, the, they seem to have a, a set list of players they want. So with Livermento, they clearly wanted them, it went on for a little while. I and mean, we've seen that throughout the last kind of a few windows. That they, they, they stick to the guns, but also they're not going to be taken for mugs when it comes to, 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 to the price they pay. Yeah, uh, I think that a point perhaps best illustrated by Sven Botman, who they went big for, didn't they, in the January after the takeover and then got him in the summer, um, competing with other clubs, AC Milan uh, notably. And, yeah, something from the Amazon documentary, which I, I imagine many of you have, have watched, Merdad Gadusi talking about, um, I can't remember the exact quote, I'm paraphrasing, but when Newcastle come, they add an extra... X number of million pounds on, on the deal. So they're battling with that as well, a Newcastle tax, if you want to call it that. But I, I don't think they've got much wrong in the transfer market. Um, going right the way back to to the Kieran Trippier deal, obviously, which which I, I'm not sure will be surpassed for, for what it's given the team and the club. Uh, the Chris Wood signing, I know many fans felt that they overpaid, but that's what they had to do to get him out of Burnley. And they got... Um, nearly all of it back from Nottingham Forest. So it, it, it worked out. It was a means to an end. And uh, he seemed like a good character and scored a few important goals. I think they, they just need to be complimented on their approach in the transfer market. Um, I think it was, it was Aaron who said that, um, or might have been Kieran, that they're paying for mistakes from the Mike Ashley era. And there's still a few players that they need to move on who are on bigger contracts. And, and Jeff Hendrick being one of them. Ryan Fraser's gone out on loan. Isaac Hayden didn't go to Luton this week. He still has another three years at Newcastle. And he is a player that was well-liked at the time. Um, he's had an injury problem. It affected him at Norwich last season. I still think they're held back by contracts like that. You've got Manquillo going into a final year of his deal. 
Um, and, and there's a possibility, Eddie Howe said last week, that he could go. Um, getting players out, it was a difficulty last year, wasn't it, with Dwight Gale and, and Kieran Clark, who's now left but went to Sheffield United. Um, yeah, it's correcting those mistakes and, and just reshaping the squad. But I think in terms of incomings, they've been really good. And they've also added, finally, to the under-21s, whether it's Garang Kual, Yankuba Minte, um, or some of the other younger players, teenagers who've come in, um, beefing up the academy group as well and just making the club stronger, the playing side at, at all levels better. Yeah, and it's really important that, you know, what we've seen with a couple of them arrivals is that they've gone straight out on loan and hopefully they're going to get more game time than, say, QL did um, last year. And, and a few of them as well went to America um, with, with the senior squad, the likes of Alex Murphy. Uh, Lee, how big of a benefit for kind of Alex's uh, 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 development is going to America and mixing with the senior squad? But not only that, actually getting to play against the likes of Chelsea and, and, who, and who, who else? Yeah, I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time with him on that tour and he, he couldn't believe <coughs> he got on so early in that game. But not only got on, he just walked on as if he belonged there his, his whole life. So maybe with the centre-back thing, Eddie's got an eye on him and believes he can come in and, and, and do a job. Um, against Chelsea, as I say, he came on, nearly scored, and then he was just throwing himself into tackles against these established players. So the, there are a couple of uh, players on the, on the fringes that uh, could come in and do a job. And you're always going to need them uh, moving forward. But I think overall, really, the under-21s and under-18s, that is an area that the club sees a big room for improvement. And I think, uh, you know, just talking about what Henry said there about not allowing players to leave, I think they, they have lost one quite recently. Is it Ollie Harrison, I think, has left the club for, for Chelsea. So I think that is a just shows you that that, that problem is, is still there. They lost Bobby Clark. To Liverpool, who's now in their first team squad, so it's it's still a problem and uh, one the the academy will will need to will need to fix. I guess for those youngsters in the, the academy, league, though, when, when you're seeing them bringing in players from teams like AC Milan or you know spending quite a bit of money, um, it it must add a, a little bit of motivation. And those youngsters, obviously, it's out of competition, but they're thinking we're there. You know, we're not just. We're not, we're not just the number here, they're actually bringing in other players to help us improve our game. And there's that pathway as well with Dan Ashworth, with Eddie Howe, you know, Eddie Howe regularly watches the under-21s train. That must you know, give them confidence that if they're good enough and they work hard enough, they can make it, in, it to the first team. Yeah, and I think you, you've seen that with Elliot Anderson, very unlucky not to start the season. Thought he was unbelievable in pre-season uh, in America. Um, just got in the Scotland squad. And... Um, Lewis Miley, who I don't know if people in here have seen much of him, but uh, looks like, again, he's been here all his life, stepping in. And I, and I think he's going to be a one that will soon be knocking on the door uh, for the first team as well. So there's, there's lots, of, lots of positives, but just getting that conveyor belt going again, like you had it all those years ago, uh, with the top local talent coming through, it's really important. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Kieran, if the window shuts... And there's no more incomings. How are you rating it? Has it has been a good window? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I I think it's a window for the years to come. That maybe in three four years you look back and you think they spent sixty million on Livermento and Hall, but they could be worth sixty million each in a few years. Um, as the lads have alluded to, it's just the here and now. I would probably say maybe a seven and a half, pushing eight. I think if they had got that centre half, it would have been very complete. Just the idea that we saw a Botman going down. He might only be out for two weeks, but 
you're having Matt Target come on, who, who looks very rusty, if I'm honest. I think Jamal Lascelles, um, I know we'll probably get on to what happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, but you know the idea that he's only played a handful of games in the last year, and then you're asking him to come in, it feels a bit light still in that area. You're banking on Botman and Shares staying fit. You're banking on that defence, keeping clean sheets. I think they've kept two since February. They haven't been in that form at the start of last season that was so important. So I think that's maybe the one area it falls down on. We mention all, on the podcast all the time, Aaron, that Eddie House is one thing and then something else happens. So he's pretty much said Newcastle United are done. You say one more perhaps? Yeah, it's always that thing you go in the press conference with Eddie Howe and you hear him say that somebody's, you know, fit for Saturday with they've been injured and then they're not in the squad or vice versa, you know, they haven't trained and then they start. So when Eddie Howe came out last week and said that they were done for the summer, I thought, well, I'm going to get ready to report on one more signing. But, you know, as the lads have alluded to, it does look like that that's it done. We obviously all sort of held our breath when Botman came off on Saturday and saw, OK, maybe they're going to do a little bit more business um, at centre-back. For me, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with Kieran. I think it's been a very good window. They've strengthened the first team. They've brought in some very, very good youngsters. But I just think you're looking at a couple of those positions. Centre-back is one. Maybe left-back. Yeah, I know they've signed Lewis Hall, but it, you know everyone was saying that they needed a first-team left-back. I just think the transfer window's been an A. One more signing probably takes it to like an A+. Plus. And uh, Henry, we've seen some of the cash spent in this window. It's astronomical. You know, Casido, for example, for Chelsea, I mean, huge amounts of, of money. How much of a learning curve for the boardroom do you think it's been to... Because they have to shop in that elite market. They'll, they'll be looking at the players that the likes of Chelsea or Arsenal, Man City are, are also considering because obviously they want to be shopping in that market which gets you to that position. So do you think it's been a lear learning curve for them? I think they've been quite mindful, excuse me, of uh, FFP. And I think Dan Ashworth and Darren Eels are very clued up about that, particularly Dan Ashworth. I mean, he's got a computer with a database and he's had it for about sort of 10, 12 years of all the best young players. And he is charting. There won't be any player that of potential that he's not aware about. So you've got a very good guy who is going to, to target the talent coming through. I quite like the way that Newcastle doing it. I mean, we were all expecting, you know, Neymar to, to come in and, and, and all that. And it hasn't. It's just been really sensible. It's like <coughs> they've, they've almost presented themselves of, <coughs> we're the richest club in the world, but actually we're not going to behave like that. We're not going to throw the money around. We're actually going to do the opposite and build sort of organically. You know, there's an evolution. And I like that. I sh for me, it's about mindset now. It's about belief. You've got some fabulous players there. I mean, Bruno, Tonali. I mean, and then you look at Eddie's coaching skills, what he's done with Joe Linton, partly coaching, partly the sort of, you know, the tactical repositioning thing. You've got a fantastic manager, but it's just now, it's, it's all about belief now. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned Darren Eels. I know you know him uh, a little bit. Could just tell our audience a bit about him. What is he like? Well, it's a great night out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of nights out in Atlanta with him. Um, what I like about him, he's completely general. Well, first, you look at his background. So he's Cambridge University, he's, uh, he's an ex-player. He's incredibly engaging. I'm sure a lot of people may have sort of bumped into him before matches. And Atlanta, he would just go on a, a walkabout with all the sort of the fans beforehand. And it was just extraordinary. There'd be about sort of... Three, four thousand fans just around their sort of barbecues or having a bud or whatever before the game. 
and he, he would have remembered their names, you know. And this is a club that regularly attracts, you know, 60, 70,000. And this was like the sort of hardcore group that he would go in and chat to. And he would join and kick about things like that. And it's not for show. He's gen he genuinely is, is like that. Um, great company, brilliant his job, highly respected in the, uh, in the game. I think he was on one of the sort of the, the, the players' recruitment um, committees at, at, at UEFA in his time. So, look, he's, he's super bright. I, I think if I was going to chart your, your great signings in this new era, I'll put Trippier and Howe top. I would put Darren Eels and Dan Ashworth in there. And then I would throw in all your Tanalas and people like that. I would put Eels is just so important. Also, particularly because you're a moneyed club, there's a lot of resentment, a lot of politics within the Premier League meetings. There's so many, even with Chelsea's, one or two of the Chelsea people having sort of been moved out. It's very political in there. And Darren Eels would go in and because of his people skills, because of his connections within the game anyway, Newcastle will be very much embraced in those meetings. So when you saw he was appointed at Newcastle United, it maybe came as no surprise because obviously Newcastle wanted to go and get the best and he fits that project perfectly. It, it, perfect. And I thought it was no surprise to me that I think he saw first or second. Certainly his first game, I think he came into the press room and he had a sort of chat with everyone and mm -hmm. sort of going around. And, and that's not, he's not doing that for show. He's genuinely like that. He wants to know, he wants to talk to you guys and find out what your views are. He wants to talk to all the sort of fans and find out what your views are. He's a very engaging individual. And if you get a chance to have a night out with him, seize it. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had him in the studio, was it last week or the, or the week before? And I think Lee and yeah. Aaron as well, you, I think you spoke to him as well. Uh, just what, what's your take on, on Eels? Yes, um, I can only echo what, what Henry's just said. Very likeable, um, sincere. Someone who seems to, to be enthusiastic about football generally. Um, and, and I think that kind of, um, th those, those characteristics are what Newcastle need. It gets very different to how it was before. What they've got at boardroom level now is football expertise, and that was one of the many things that was lacking uh, prior to the sale of the club. Um, we, um, we ran into, I say ran in, we encountered Darren Eels in, in a hotel. We ended up somehow staying in the team hotel before Wolves away last season. That The 1-1 draw went, Sam Maximus scored that brilliant goal um, and and with John Anderson who is our co-commentator at BBC Newcastle former player um, he was really interested in talking to him uh, because he said he was a Chesterfield fan and wanted to know um, about Arthur Cox so they had a they had a good chat for what felt like an hour about that and I think that just underlines that point about him being interested and engaged just in football generally but he also spoke quite a lot about um, Atlanta United and uh, everything that he that he did there, and you can see how proud he is. He talks about just starting the club. I think the way he described himself was employee number one, um, and he said it's similar to Newcastle because it's almost a reset and start again with Newcastle United. And I think finally, um, you know, even in the, the the difficult Mike Ashley era, managers would come into our studio. Even Steve Bruce did it of his own accord, by the way, um, which was a surprise, and take questions from fans. But Darren Eels has done it twice now, and they understand the importance of being accessible, but also communicating with fans, even if you don't agree. And there are some points of contention, like the, the digital ticketing and, and the away point system and, and a few other things. At least they're actively trying to explain it and, and engage with supporters, which can only be a good thing, because that kind of, of two-way thing wasn't there before. We've seen that as well, Lee, with 
uh, Peter Silverstone as well. You, you've got to sit yeah. down with them a couple of weeks ago. I think it was just before the, the Seller Cup. The, the club seemed to understand more than ever the fact that you know the local press, I get the national press as well. It, it's it's important to help get the message out to to, to the fans. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, Amanda Stavely didn't even actually have the keys to the club uh, back in October 2021, and uh, we got ushered up to Jesmond House uh, for the for a big interview up there, Jesmond Dean Hotel. So, so that was uh, that was a great start, and they've continued that with uh, regular meetings with the local press. Uh, Pete Silverstone, uh, Darren Eels, uh, coming in the press room and, and doing interviews. Also, uh, took the press out in Atlanta, as Henry was mentioned there, during uh, America. So, really good start, and um, long may it continue. What was the access like? In America, so you, you went and you followed the club across the four or five states that they were playing, and what, what what was that like? Yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, I've been to America three times with Newcastle. Uh, two of them were during the Ashley era, where the the, the organisation was uh, questionable. Um, even the players and staff uh, weren't happy with the the sort of uh, the locations of the venues and playing on plastic pitches, playing on a pitch uh, in Orlando, which. I think they were rolling out uh, turf from Peter Barrett or somewhere like that. Uh, you, that's how badly organised it was. So, so this time it was ultra professional. Obviously, Atlanta, that stadium is probably the best stadium I've ever been to, given the air conditioning and all that sort of stuff. Um, it was just brilliant. It was access all areas really, and uh, that that's what you love to see from uh, the top clubs. I, I don't think you get it at Man United, Man City, Liverpool. Uh, but at the moment, we're getting it here, and uh, it's it's really paying off. I think Razor's kind of alluded to, Aaron, but you know we've mentioned before about having the right people in the right positions. You know, and we're starting to see it, see it pay off now with the return of Adidas, the arrival of Seller, the introduction of a farm park when it happens hopefully by November. We are starting to see the benefits of having not just the right people, but more than one person actually doing something at, at the club. Yeah, poor old Lee Charnley, he was probably on about 200 grand a year, but he was doing about 10 jobs, and now you've got, you know, everybody coming in and filling the roles that they're meant to fill in. I think Henry's absolutely spot on when he, you know, talks about how high up that list Ashworth and Eels are in terms of, you know, the signings. They've been, you know, absolutely instrumental. Um, Dan Ashworth especially, I mean... it's no coincidence when you look at what Brighton are doing now and how well they're doing. That was a huge part of him. I mean, you know, he was picking out players from, you know, the Ecuador top flight and Moises Cicero. He signed him for four million. They've just sold him to Chelsea for over a hundred. He's an absolute genius, and what he will do for the club and the young talent going forward is massive. Darren Eels commercially is going to be huge um, with all his connections with Adidas and Atlanta. You know, he pretty much helped build that club from nothing just under a decade ago. And obviously Peter Silverstone, we, we mainly got a chat with him a couple of weeks ago and very, very fascinating man. He's done a lot in his, in his time. He's worked for um, Arsenal more recently. He's done a lot of work with the Brazil national team. They're just, they're getting the best of the best in this, these sort of boardroom positions. Um, so that, as I say, not just having one man trying to sort of juggle all these, all these plates. And Kevin, when you speak to them and you speak to people around them who's worked with them, um, just tell our viewers here and our guests here, kind of what you sense in terms of their aims and their hopes for Newcastle and how it fits in with the, the bigger picture that Amanda Stavely and PIF have? Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of liken what they did with these two appointments to what they've done with the transfer market because um, 
there are a lot of, should we call it, sexy sporting directors out there, continental types, people who were linked with the job before people like Dan Ashworth got it. And I think it would have been very easy to have got swayed by that, to have gone for, you know, your Lewis Campos's, your, your people like that with the name. And they went for proven people who know the Premier League, just like they've gone for the majority of players who are proven Premier League players. And I think that's been a sensible approach to to go with those guys who, who know the territory and who, you know, the, the thing with Dan Ashworth is he he came in so hungry. Well, I think he's gone on record to say he gets bored after three or four years. Mm -hmm. So at Brighton, he probably felt they were well on their way to being a top-half club. That was his aim when he came in. He came to Newcastle full of energy. This was a probably the biggest challenge of his career, arguably in terms of you're taking a club when he came in who had escaped relegation. How would you turn that into, you know, one of the top clubs in Europe? I mean, what a challenge that is. Same with Darren Eels. He was, he'd built Atlanta United. He had a great job there. He turned them from a club that were nothing into a household name around Europe. They've come in so hungry and eager to, to turn this club into something special. And I think that's allowed the owners then maybe to take a step back I think that's been for the benefit of the whole club that you have actual football people now making decisions and there's that alignment with the head coach as well. So the way Eddie Howe sees the game, the way Darren Eels sees the game, the way Dan Ashworth sees the game, they've got a long-term plan in there. Yeah, 100%. When, when, how do you speak, when I've spoken to people who work with Ashworth at Brighton, what they said was he built Brighton up so that when he eventually did leave, it was just kind of someone would step into that position, but the rest of it would work without him. We've seen that at Brighton, as Aaron's alluded to there. I mean, that's, that, that doesn't happen everywhere. I mean, that's quite clever from Ashworth to do that. And you suspect he's probably doing the same here, knowing that he might not be here in, you know, say, 10 years' time. But when he leaves, someone can just kind of step in. Yeah, he does move. It's quite interesting. But he, he, he loves building something. I mean, we saw it with, uh, with England. I mean, he left pretty much as they, they landed back in from Russia after 2018. I just thought, why are you leaving? We remember talking to him about it. So why are you leaving now with this, you know, Southgate's got something going, you've got some good young players coming through. But, he, you know, he marches to his, his own rhythm. But if he's here four or five years, hopefully he's here longer, you've got someone special who, who will know all these players, all this talent coming through. And he will also focus, we were touching on earlier, about the... Uh, you know, the, the, the younger players. I think he realises he's representing, you, look, you're a huge international, you're a global club, but I think Dan Ashworth will also know that you're an English club and he will respect the English traditions and also want to have, he will take great pride when players come from here and go to the national team. And Riza, how important is it that Dan Ashworth and, and Eddie Howe, and I guess Steve Nixon with that as well, and Dan Niels, they all seem to have a really good working relationship because you see at some clubs you can go out and get the very best sporting director but the clash with the manager. But here, everyone seems to be singing um, off the same hymn sheet. Yeah, well, they, they'll need to be. They'll all have input into into the signings uh, that Newcastle make. Eddie Howe is an exceptional coach, but I don't think that you can just hand him a player without his approval because um, I think he's earned the right and, should, and, and has the respect of everybody that um, he would need some say in who Newcastle bring in. It's a very different model, isn't it, to the one that, that was there with Alan Pardew and Graham Carr uh, many years ago when perhaps Pardew didn't get who he wanted and Newcastle had some successes, some failures. I just think what's different now about recruitment so far is that they've, they've got pretty much all of them right. There have been varying degrees of success, but I don't think any of the signings they've made have... Um, I, w I would say were, were wrong moves or, or mistakes. No, I, I think no one would disagree with you there. Lee, we mentioned Adidas, and that's a very exciting, and I mean, we're waiting for the announcement, aren't we, on 
on the first. So we're going to be intrigued yeah. to see what happens there. But th- that's a big move by Newcastle. Oh, it's it's massive. And uh, I said it uh, when I was speaking to Razor the other day on Radio Newcastle. Uh, it's um, it's up there with getting Alan Shearer on the right side of the wall, uh, putting the Shearer's name back on, getting the Sports Direct signs down. All these little things uh, all add up to one big thing. And I think getting Adidas back is uh, is a huge one. I mean, there's a few of these shirts in the crowd tonight. So uh, that just shows you the love for that brand. Um, but ultimately, if it helps bring a winning team on the pitch, then uh, even better. Yeah, 100%. Um, I just want to quickly go back to incomings. Uh, I'll come to you first, Kieran. If you could... Or if you, if you think Eddie Howe would san- could sanction one deal without any obstacles, a realistic incoming, one more signing, uh, which position do you think it would be? Blimey. Uh, I think centre-half. Yeah, it's, uh, that screams out of me. I think Fabian Scher did, did brilliantly last season. As I was saying earlier, just expect him and Botman to stay 100% fit with all the games they have. To keep clean sheets, I think it's a big ask. I think if they could have got... Uh, you know, a 25-year-old centre-half, a real pedigree who could come in, who could hit the ground running, that would have been a huge signing, yeah. Aaron? I'm going to slightly disagree. I think for me, you know, there was a lot of talk when uh, Sandro Tonali signed that they were going to try and raid AC Milan again for Theo Hernandez at left-back. I think that would have been, you know, probably even more of a statement. I think if there was no obstacle and no FFP to worry about, I think you're looking at maybe an upgrade at left-back and maybe an upgrade on right midfield Anybody who listens to the podcast knows how crazy I was about Moussa Diaby before Villa signed him. And I think those two are maybe the positions that, don't get me wrong, Dan Byrne and Miguel Almond have done fantastic. They're fantastic servants. But I just think if we look at what Newcastle are going to do in the next couple of windows, those are the positions that stand out where you think maybe Miggy and Dan Byrne are going to slowly become squad players and, and they're going to be upgraded slightly. Lee? Well, d- <laughs> In terms of who I think um, or what position I think they'd be, they'd be looking at, it will be centre-back. And I know for a fact that only on Sunday, uh, pretty much the moment Botman got injured, there was a, an, a well-established England international that was getting shoved their way by agents, uh, which you might have seen something on our website uh, about uh, Harry Maguire was the, the player that, that was getting heavily pushed towards Newcastle. So... That that's uh, the area that I think they'll look at. If you're asking me where I would go, I've, I've probably already said it. Another forward, an established forward, someone who can just slot in there and, and cover for for Wilson and, and Isaac when they're injured. So for for me, it it, it boils down to goals, scoring goals, and uh, that that's where they're going to have to look if they want to be a success this season. Let's see if we can get five to five to six. So I'm going to say number six. <laughs> what are you going to say? Oh, no pressure. Uh, well. Um, interestingly on forwards have you seen that Hugo Ekatike might be on his way from PSG and he was the player Newcastle wanted last year a couple of times and, and, and didn't get him uh, a young forward if it's going to be a forward you think it would have to be a younger one who might accept being third in line and, and not uh, not playing regularly I know Isak can be used in different positions but um, I, I can't really say anything other than centre-back because it's it's an important uh, part of the team, and, and maybe we thought they would they would get one anyway. Um, I, I think they're light there. If they get another injury to a centre half, then then they'll they'll be in trouble, and you might have to have other people filling in, and that's not not what they want. You guys on the floor, is it a centre back that you'd like to see come in in the next couple of days? Is that kind of the? Um, you t- you t- who would take Harry Maguire? 
Oh, look at that. Bit of, bit of debate, <laughs> Eric Dyer shouted out. <laughs> Henry, when you, what you've seen of Newcastle, when you compare it to the top sides, is there a certain position which you think, yeah, they could do with one more there? I mean, I would echo what the guys are saying about centre-back. What I would love is if every club put a million pounds into the pot, 20 million quid, and we spend it on grassroots refereeing because I think we have a problem with refereeing at the elite level. We've probably got... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you probably saw it at the weekend. I mean, I'm a huge admirer of Trent Alexander-Arnold, but he should have gone off. I mean, I don't think there's any dispute that. Virgil van Dijk as well. You know, I don't think there was any sort of uh, doubt there. He'll probably get an extra game banned for his slightly lively language. Um, but I just think we have an issue with, and it's a broader issue here, but the, um, the, the quality of refereeing in this country. And the one good thing, when you go into the Champions League, the refereeing is a lot better than here. Thankfully. Uh, what would you do? What would, your, would you get ex-professionals coming in to help down the Stockley Park? What, how you, would you fix it? If you look, I mean, you can do that and get them in with VAR. But if you look at every academy loses probably, I don't know, say 20, 30 kids every year, 17, 18, 19, not good enough. Now, they've been steeped in the game. They understand the game. They've pretty much, they've been taught the rules, the laws. Why don't you take one or two of them and say, listen, you might not be able to get into the media. Do you want to play non-league? Do you want to play lower down the pyramid? Or we can put you on a fast track. There's all this talent coming out. And I think, you know, you look at some of the, the, the better officials. They've, some of them have had a playing background. So look, I know it's a broader issue here, but I think we have a problem with refereeing in this country. And when you see the huge sums that are getting spent on players, maybe just put a little bit of it into uh, developing referees. So these huge, fantastic players and this amazing show that we've got in the Premier League football isn't undermined by someone not working out an offside properly or not sending off a player who should be. Yeah, well, do you know, that's a, that's a huge issue because, it, you know, the two best referees in the country, whatever you think Anthony Taylor is a fabulous referee, he gets a lot of the big European gigs. And Michael Oliver, it's, uh, yeah, it's a good point, that. Yeah, um, just good point. A quick question um, on... on yeah, I'm going to jump out. Yeah, just a quick question on, on um, outgoings. We saw the sale of Alan St. Maxman. How did we feel about the sale of Alan St. Maxman? Were you all, all right with it? Or yeah, so the majority. And um, I suppose they're the decisions that you know the, the clubs are, are, are going to make. Lee, you know, you're going to have to sell. Not everybody was happy with it. People thought he was one of the, the better players. The, you know, the club are going to face other tough decisions coming down the line yeah. when top players are wanted by you know the Real Madrid's or Barcelona's. Yeah, I mean. Just a quick one on St. Maximin. I was I was a bit gutted when he got sold. I was a big fan of him, and I just hope we don't rue it going into the the Champions League because uh, I think he he would have really stepped up onto that stage and, and delivered uh, like he did in the bigger games. Okay, inconsistency followed him around a little bit, but uh, I just hope we don't go go on to rue that one. And uh, don't know, maybe maybe we might see him back one day. You never know. <laughs>